and through us. Second Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Saviour. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, say that's us, in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. In other words, the word of God caused creation to happen. Whereby the world, the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward or toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? In one more verse from Joel chapter 2, back in the Old Testament, just a little, little book. Joel chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. With the help of the Lord this morning, I'm simply preaching that this is not a drill. This is not a drill. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your presence here. We're thankful for your people here. We're thankful, Lord, for hearts that desire to know you, to walk with you, to please you, Lord, that are looking for you. And I pray today as we minister your word, that you would reach for those hearts, Lord, that you would stir us, that you would challenge us, that you would shake us if necessary in your house today, Lord, because of your love for us, we pray. Have your way in this place, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were in Townsville in North Queensland where I grew up, Brother Gavin grew up, and in the course of our visit there, we passed some of the schools that I attended. I, I attended two different primary schools and, and one high school. Uh, I would love to tell you that I was an exemplary student, but I, was I would be lying. But as we went past these schools, you know, you go back to, if you don't live in the town you grew up in anymore, when you visit again, there are memories that come back. Things change, but there are landmarks, there are people, there are things that trigger different memories in your in your mind and I the Lord brought to my mind I believe that at each of these schools that I attended from time to time we would have a fire drill I'm guessing they still have those at school it's been a while since I've been at school but an alarm would sound whether it was a siren or an alarm or when I was 
a young child, a person with a bell, some of you old enough to remember an old school bell, and we would be instructed to leave our work and our books and everything on our desks and to walk together in an orderly fashion, which with young children is not easy, it's like trying to herd cats, in an orderly fashion to a previously arranged meeting place, which in my time at school was almost always on the oval, almost out on the, on the sports oval. The attendance roll would be checked and when everybody was accounted for and the teachers had swept the classrooms for people who were missing, we would return to the normal events of the school day. And uh, I completely did and still understand the need to have processes to provide safety for children, to protect students from the danger of fire on school grounds. That would be a terrifying thing. But as children, we always knew that it was a fire drill. We always knew that there was never actually an active fire. In fact, sometimes they would inform us that there was going to be a fire drill that week or they would even tell us or let it slip that there was going to be a fire drill that very day. And so when the alarm sounded, nobody panicked. Everybody knew it's just a fire drill. Nobody ran screaming or running. But because we knew it was just a drill, we would take our time chatting messing around with our friends. The boys would usually be the ones taking an opportunity to goof off, do something silly, poking each other, hitting each other, whatever they were doing. We've all been to school. Nobody was taking it very seriously at all because it was just a drill. And we knew it was a drill. Twelve years of school, I don't know how many fire drills and never a single fire once at our school. This calendar year, 2022, will see me take around 30 plane flights between January and December by the time it's all, not 30 trips, but 30 individual flights. And every time I get on a plane, find my seat, and I'm surprised to see that, yes, there is still not enough legroom. Settle in, tall people problems. I know that in just a few minutes, I'm going to get the safety instructions on that plane. Sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's an audio recording. They're going to tell me how to use my seatbelt correctly, how to clip it on and take it off. Then they're going to tell me where the emergency exits are on this aircraft and why I should count the number of rows of seats between myself and the nearest exit because I'm sure if the plane is crashing, I'm going to start counting the seats. You can imagine in a disaster, everybody's sitting up going, one, two. It's not going to happen, but they teach you that anyway. You know, some people are like, was it six or five? I can't remember. They will tell you how many, you know, count the number of rows that if the lights go out, lights will appear on the floor and apparently guide me to the nearest exit. Oxygen masks will magically appear from the overhead locker. Nowadays, they've added a step to it. They kindly let us know that you can take off your face mask before using the oxygen mask. I kind of think if you can't work that out, you should just get what happens, you know. <laughs> no, I think that's pretty obvious. Then they tell you how to assume the crash position. Brother Andre, you've just flown internationally recently. Somehow me putting my forehead on the back of the seat in front of me is going to save my life when that thing falls from thousands and thousands of feet out of the sky. They let me know where my life jacket is. It's bright yellow so they can find your bodies. And they will also tell you whether or not the plane is fitted with emergency slides and that, failing all of that, you should follow the instruction of the crew at all times. Anybody never heard safety instructions on a plane? If you've flown as often as I have, by the time they start that, if I'm honest, I'm already into a movie. 
or I've fallen asleep. I've slept through the safety instructions many, many times. I'm not that afraid of the plane crashing. I've come to understand that this is the process, and to a certain degree, it's just a drill. It's a practice run they have to go through, and we, I'm not convinced that if we were in a disaster that everybody would follow all of those steps because people have a way of panicking, but it's just a drill. And we live in a society and in a culture nowadays that is obsessed with safety, with risk management. Most of that, if we're honest, has to do with insurance policies. And all of these things have their place, but we have become so risk-averse that it seems like you can't do anything anymore. Kids don't climb trees, it seems, anymore. Playgrounds have squishy ground so that when you fall over, you hopefully don't break your arm or your leg. And I'm not suggesting that we should let our kids break their bones, but we have become so risk-averse that everything, there's a process for this and a process for that. And, you, you should, and, and it has its place. I'm not saying we should be reckless or careless, but... But what this actually can do is it can produce complacency. It can produce carelessness because we've become numb to all the warnings. What's the first thing that happens when you hear an alarm go off? If you're in a public place, like maybe a shopping center or a mall somewhere, you hear an alarm go off, what do we automatically think? Oh, they must be testing it. You know, it's faulty. They're just doing some repair work. How often do you panic and run out of the shopping center? Everybody just looks around and goes, that's annoying. I wish they'd turn that off. Because we're so conditioned to all the practice. If you hear an alarm, a house alarm or a car alarm in your neighborhood, how many of us run down the street to see if everybody's okay? Most of us think, turn that stupid thing off. We don't really care if someone's being broken into or their car's being stolen. And maybe that we should care a little bit more, but my point is we've become so used to these things. You hear sirens all the time in our neighborhoods we don't stop to think about it except that it's disturbed our peace or we have to turn whatever we're watching up louder because the police car is getting close we've become so conditioned to it you see this this is not a modern problem this is not a modern phenomenon throughout the old testament prophet after prophet came to the people of israel sounding an alarm warning them that the judgment of God was coming, that they were going to be taken into captivity. And just like today, they rejected the warnings. They became irritated with an alarm-ringing prophet and looked for ways to silence their noise. In fact, Jesus told the Jews in his day that they were the children of those who had killed the prophets. He said, they were your fathers. Your fathers killed the prophets. They silenced the alarms. The voices of warning that came Again, you see, to be a prophet in, in, old, in old Israel when they were backslidden and worshipping idols was a dangerous thing to be because the easiest way to silence a prophet was to kill a prophet because they were blind to what was going on around them. They were blind to the consequences of their ignorance and the grating sound of a prophet's voice only served as a source of irritation in their otherwise comfortable lives. You know, when I, when I was a young man, when I first left high school and started my apprenticeship, I worked a lot of night shift. And for all of you that work shift work, you have my sympathy. And when I sleep, I'm not one of these people that sleeps on the surface. I go way down. Particularly when I was younger. Not so much now, 
But as a young man, when I slept, it was way down. And so my alarm clock had to be pretty good. And this is, I'm going to reveal my age, but I had at one stage one of those old alarm clocks with the little numbers used to flip over. Any of you remember those? Some young people are like, what in the world is that? Well, they're actual physical numbers that flipped when the time changed. And I used to deliberately keep it further away than arms reach because I could sleep so heavily that I could turn it off without waking up. So it would be maybe six feet away from my bed in the pitch black. And it was a very aggressive, offensive noise because that's what was necessary to wake me up. And so I would go from sleeping peacefully and this horrendous noise would start and my heart rate would begin to go through the roof. I'd begin to panic and I'm reaching around in the dark trying to find this stupid alarm clock because I'm disoriented and I don't remember where I put it and it's dark so I can't tell where I am anyway. And so what ends up happening is I end up just grabbing it and tearing it out of the wall to make it stop. That alarm clock didn't last very long. But the thing is, it shocked me into awareness. It, it woke me up out of a, a very comfortable situation because there was somewhere I needed to be. Amen. In 1 Kings chapter 22, and I'm just going to paraphrase it for the sake of time, Israel is at war with the nation of Syria. King Ahab is their wicked king at the time. King Jehoshaphat of Judah comes to visit King Ahab and they have a conversation about a particular part of the countryside which they were supposed to be in possession of, but the enemy still had. And so a decision is made, let's go take that land back. Now Jehoshaphat is a man of God. He's a godly king. And so he says, Ahab, probably be a good idea if we ask the prophet what God thinks about this. So Ahab brings in all these prophets. And it doesn't tell us a lot about them, but Jehoshaphat was not convinced that they were prophets. He was like, yeah, they were really, they performed well. One of them was so well prepared, he had these horns made out of iron. And he said, you'll just push the enemy back into the sea. And it was very dramatic. And they told them what they wanted to hear. And then Jehoshaphat said, is there actually a, a real prophet that we could talk to? Is there a real man of God that we could, we could have, that we could see? Because I don't mean to be rude, Ahab, but these guys don't seem to be very good quality prophets. They're just telling you what you want to hear. And then Ahab, Ahab's lip sticks out and his face gets long. And he says, well, there's this one guy. His name is Micaiah. He said, but every time he comes, he always tells me things that make me sad. Never brings me good news. Tells me things I don't want to hear. And Jehoshaphat says, oh, don't say that. Let's get him. And so a servant is dispatched to go and get Micaiah. And on the way back, the servant says to him, say nice things about the king. I'm warning you, tell him what he wants to hear. And Micaiah basically says, I'll say whatever God tells me to say. So they come in before the king and Ahab says, so should we go to battle? And Micaiah says, sure, go and have a victory. God is with you. But the way he says it, he's obviously not sincere. He's obviously being a little sarcastic because Ahab says, don't mess with me. Tell me the truth. Tell me really what you feel or what you think God is saying. And in 1 Kings 22 and 17 It says, and he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And so Ahab, after demanding that the man of God tell him the truth, turns to Jehoshaphat and says, see, he always says bad things. I don't like him. And so the, the, the thing is, 
People so often want a man or a woman of God to give them a stamp of approval upon their decisions, their relationships, their plans, until they don't hear what they want to hear. Ahab knew that the prophet wasn't being serious, and then he said, you need to tell me straight. And then when he told him straight, he got upset and threw his toys out of the cot. It is such a classic representation of human nature. Speak to me, God, but tell me what I want to hear. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul wrote to the young man, he said, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. It's not talking about a, a, a physical problem with their ears. It's about wanting to hear things that please them. We live in an age where I mentioned Western Christianity this morning where so much of it is about your best life now. You know, if you're living your best life now, that means you're not going to heaven. Because if this is the best, then what follows has got to be less. I don't want my best life now. I'm happy to have a good life now, but the best life is what's yet to come. And it's, it's easy to gather a crowd if it's all about God wants to bless you, God wants to make you rich and give you that promotion and all those things. God just wants you to, you're a king's kid, you should live like a king. All that stuff is popular because people have itching ears. Just like Ahab. And so Ahab ignores the prophet's advice for I don't know how many times he's done that. Goes to battle anyway and Ahab is killed in the battle. His son takes the throne and continues to lead Israel down a terrible, idolatrous pathway as further and further away from God. Peter wrote in our opening text, he said that in the last days there would be people that would mock the church, that would make fun of what we believe. If you have any kind of social media, you're aware of that today. Those, he said, there would be those that would only be interested in their own pleasure their own comfort, and they would not want to be made to feel uncomfortable in any way at all. The warning cry of the prophet is still not popular because it's a message that includes a need to repent, a message that includes a need to change and to walk away from sin. When somebody speaks in God's place correctly, they speak about righteousness, they speak about holiness, they speak about being separated from sin. Not, you know, too many people think, well, I, you know, I just have a little of this. I just have a little drink. I'll just have a little bit of that, a little bit of this. You've got to cut yourself off from sin. You can't just have a little this and a little that. If a lot of it's sin, then a little bit of it's sin. You know, I mean, how, how small a dose of poison do you have to take before it doesn't hurt you? Amen. That, that's the message of the Word of God. But, oh, that's, that's hard, Pastor. That's, you know, what about grace? What about mercy? That's, that's setting a bar that's too high. If God said you can live that way, then you can live that way. If he said his spirit will enable you to live that way, then it will if you choose to do what he said. Too often we say we have weakness when the problem is it's our flesh that has strength. The flesh is not dead. The spirit will be weak. Amen. Because one has to conquer the other. Amen. Peter said that they would ridicule us for believing that Jesus is coming back. After all, they've been saying that for a long time. Generations have come and gone declaring the imminent return of Christ and we are still 
here. Really, Peter? You really believe that still? You really believe that Jesus is coming back? Then Peter said, don't be ignorant. Do not be deceived. He said, what seems like a long time to us is a single day with God. What seems like a long time to us is just a single day in the sight of the Lord. Amen. And God is not slack. He is not struggling to keep his promises. He is not distracted. He has not forgotten what he said he would do. Even the corrupt prophet Balaam in the book of Numbers understood this when he said, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? If God said it, it's going to happen. Amen. Peter declared that the day of the Lord will come and everything that God said would happen, will happen. Amen. Church, the Lord is coming back. Amen. The Lord is coming back. Amen. If that doesn't move us, then we need to say, what is wrong with me? Because the Lord is coming back. This is not a drill. This is not a drill. Amen. The Lord is coming back. Amen. I've heard the preaching of the rapture, of the coming of the Lord, of the catching away of the church, whatever you want to call it, since I was a child. Can I tell you that I've never been complacent? No, I can't. Because complacency, unfortunately, finds us all so very, very easily. But that's why. It is so important that we need to be in the house of God, hearing the word of God. Amen. That's why you need to allow a preacher to get up in your grill sometimes and to make you squirm a little bit because Jesus is coming back. Amen. I'll go as far as to say this, and I'd not want to hurt anybody's feelings, but your belief in the rapture, your belief in the return of Jesus Christ is directly connected to your commitment to his house. The two cannot be separated. Now, being, no, I, you don't, yes, pastor, but just being in the building doesn't get you to heaven. No, but being in the building helps to keep you ready for heaven. Amen. Like somebody once said, being, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. But if we are in the house of God, if we are letting the word of God reach for us, get a hold of our hearts, draw us to repentance, keep us on track, recalibrate us from time to time, that is a part of staying ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And if we miss church easily, something's wrong with our perspective on the return of Jesus Christ. It's very easy to fall into the religious habits and motions of just coming to the house of God. But we do need to be reminded again and again and again, why are we here? I love you people. You're some of the best people I know in this whole world. But I'm not here for you. I'm here with you because we want to be with him. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. Amen. David said it in Psalm 73, and I... I've used this example many times of how David said, Lord, when I look at the wicked, they're just getting richer and richer. He uses King James, well, it's translated. He doesn't use King James English, but the King James translates what he said as the rich are doing, the, the wicked are doing so well, they're so fat, their eyes are bulging out. That's what he says. I don't know if I'd take that as a compliment, but he's saying they just it just seems like everything's going from good to better for them. 
I said, and he said, why am I bothering to cleanse my heart? Why am I bothering to keep myself from wickedness? Why, why do I go through the struggle of trying to keep your word, Lord? He said, when I thought about all those things, he said, my foot nearly slipped. I nearly got off the track. He said, but then I came back to the house. I came back to your sanctuary and I was reminded about what's coming in the end. They've got an end and we've got an end. And he said, our end is better than theirs. Amen. Our hope, our promises are better than theirs. So it doesn't matter if our life is not awesome here because we have a hope that he is coming back. This is not a drill. If I can stir us this morning, this is not a drill. Amen. I know it's so easy to come to God's house and just becomes tradition. And we slip into church culture and that has its place, but we've always got to remember Jesus is coming back. This is not a drill. And I've testified about this many times of how as a foolish, hard-headed, hard-hearted teenager, when my heart was far from God, my mother didn't work. My mom was at home with us full time. And so almost every day when I came home from school, my mom was there. And if she wasn't going to be there, she would normally tell us. But from time to time, something would happen. And I'd come in the door from school, normally in high school, and mom wasn't there. And instantly fear would grip my heart. Instantly I would become afraid that Jesus had come back and I was left behind. And I would pick up that old home phone, you know, with the thing that went round and round and a curly cord, some of you don't even know what that is. And I'd begin to call people in the church. The first person I called was normally Brother Gavin's mum because I was sure she was going to heaven. I didn't call the pastor because I was too scared to call him. I would ring Brother Gavin's mum, Sister Barbara, and say, hi, it's just casual as can be. Hi, Sister Barbara, how you doing? I was just wondering if mum was at your house. And mum, most of the time she wasn't there. I said, okay, that's fine. I'm sure she's coming home soon. But I would hang up thinking, Sister Barbara's still here. The Lord hasn't come back yet. <laughs> but here's the stupid thing. When I was assured that the Lord hadn't come back, I didn't repent. The foolishness of a child. I thought, okay, we're still okay. I'm going to keep being an idiot. I'm going to keep doing stupid things and making dumb choices, but that's human nature. I thought about it after, what would have happened if Sister Barbara wasn't home? And somebody else wasn't home, and then finally I called the pastor's house, and he and his wife weren't home. It would have been too late. But I ring, and I make sure we're okay, and I keep living in sin. That's intelligence right there. But that's human nature. We become complacent. But this is not a drill. This life is my one shot at making it to heaven. I have one shot. One shot. Amen. That sounds terrifying and there's a certain amount of it that should cause us to be afraid. But at the same time, he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will walk beside you. I'll provide your needs. I'll give you direction. I'll put people in your life to help you. Anything you find that you're facing, I'll bring you through it or I'll take you out of it. He made a way that we can make it. This is not a drill. But this is one shot. One shot. At being ready to meet Jesus. That's all we've got. One shot. To be born again, water and spirit, is the only way that I can make it to heaven. The only way. And that's not a popular statement, but that's what the Bible says. 
And if I'm going to be judged out of this book, I want to do my best to do what this book tells me to do. Not what tradition tells me or religion or culture, but what the Word of God said. And Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Amen. The scripture we read from in Joel said that they were to blow a trumpet and to sound an alarm. It makes me think of my old alarm clock. It didn't say play some gentle flute music or a lullaby. It's supposed to shake us. There are times the preaching of the Word of God is supposed to shake us because it's supposed to cause us to run to Him. Because the day of the Lord will come. Peter said they're going to mock. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to say, oh, it's been so long. Do you still really believe that old wives' tale? But one day with the Lord is as a thousand years for us. And in a moment, time is going to wrap up. And everything that's prophesied about in this book, the cogs are going to begin to move. The judgment of God is going to begin to be poured out because this is not a drill. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where it really matters. Peter, in the passage we read, this is what he said. He said, in both of my letters, he said, I've tried to remind you, I've tried to stir you up. He said that you would remember what you've been taught. He said, scoffers will come. I want you to try and imagine what it was like for the early church in a nation of Israel ingrained in the Mosaic law, ingrained in their culture. It was, it was, there was such a strong, even when they were backslidden, the law was still a strong part of their culture. And here comes these Johnny-come-lately believers and this strange man, Jesus Christ, saying all these new things and talking about resurrection and speaking in other tongues. You don't think they were mocked? You don't think they were ridiculed and told they were idiots and how can you believe such nonsense? It's the same for them, it's the same for us. They will mock the idea that Jesus is coming back because it's been such a long time. But Peter said they didn't listen to Noah either. He said they didn't listen back then when God destroyed the earth with water. And he said this world has an appointment with destruction again. There's another kind, it's not going to be water this time, but destruction is coming again. And then he said, don't even think for a moment that God is slack concerning his promises. Don't even think that he's reduced in power or that he's changed his mind or he's revising his policy. This book is forever settled in heaven if God said it. When I was a kid growing up, for some reason, my mom allowed me to cover my bedroom door with stickers. And one of them said, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. I wish I'd practiced that more when I was a kid, but it was on my bedroom door. And if the Word of God says it, it's going to come to pass. But then Peter said, he said, if all of these things are true, if all of these prophecies, if all the things that Jesus said are coming are going to happen, then he asked the real question, what manner of persons ought you to be? He said, if we believe these things, if we believe that he rose from the dead, if we believe that he's coming back, if we believe that judgment is going to be poured out on this earth again, how should we be living? That's the question for us today. What kind of commitment level should we be demonstrating? How seriously should we be taking our walk with God? Because this is not a drill. This is our one shot. I was thinking about this as the Lord was speaking to me. I was 
leading me with this message. And I don't want to be insensitive this morning because I know we have people here that have lost loved ones recently. But what do we do when we hear about somebody being diagnosed with a terminal illness? What does the person that's received that diagnosis do? Everything begins to change. What's important changes. The things they want to achieve changes. Suddenly other things that they thought were important get put aside because usually it's people and relationships and those sort of things that they need to focus on. Everything changes. And again, it's a sad reflection on human nature that it takes something drastic to think about what really matters. But the truth is, we all have a terminal diagnosis. These bodies will die because of sin. If the Lord tarries, we will all go into the earth. That's what the Bible says. We, we have an appointment that we cannot cancel. And so we have to remember that we live with a condition that has an expiry date. It's called sinful humanity. And therefore, we ought to think, what manner of persons ought you to be? How should I live? What should my priorities be? What is my commitment? What are the things that I'm making important that shouldn't be important in my life? Amen. I know that the Lord's going to challenge us this morning. But our walk with God is not like a bunch of school children in a fire drill making their way to an oval. This is our one shot. We can't be like those kids fooling around and goofing off. This is our one shot. And this life is not a drill. Bless the Lord. Sisters, thank you. If I could have you to the piano, please. Hallelujah. Why don't we just lift our hands and worship the Lord for just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray. Stir us this morning, oh God. Shake us today, Lord, for our soul's sake, for our families, for our children. God, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Some of you will know this part of history in 79 AD, a very famous ancient city by the name of Pompeii found itself at the foothills of Mount Vesuvius, very well-known volcano, very aggressive volcano. In 79 AD, interestingly, just over 10 years approximately after Peter wrote that the elements would melt with a fervent heat, I wonder how many people in Italy read his letter before this happened, Vesuvius erupted, and uh, you can look this up, it's quite... Uh, sobering, even breathtaking to see the outcome. And Pompeii was basically buried in ash and all the other stuff that comes with a volcanic eruption. And then when they finally excavated it, there were people's, people who were basically just, it's almost like freeze frame. They, were, they, they found a bakery where there were loaves of bread in the oven, still in the oven. So some of it happened, there was an element of it that was quick, that was quick. But the truth is, when you, when you read it about it, there were warnings. There were earthquakes. Even the sea was affected. Animals begin to leave because there were some warnings. But, I mean, we have the knowledge of what all those things mean now. They may not have had them 2,000 years ago. 
But in just a short period of time, an entire city ceased to exist. People were killed by the toxic gas, the, the ash, and all the other. There's a whole lot of things happen when a volcano erupts. And the, Peter said, the day of the Lord shall come. The elements shall melt with a fervent heat. But for those that are looking for him, God is not slack concerning his promises. I want you to stand with, you, with me if you would this morning. I'm not trying to preach a message of fear. I'm trying to preach the truth because God loves us. This is not a drill. It's not a practice. It's not a rehearsal. It's your one shot. And you might think, well, pastor, I've wasted an awful lot. Well, start today. If your approach before today has not been what it should be, let's begin today while there's time. Today is the day of salvation. If you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. I'm thankful for the life he gives us. God blesses us. He blesses us with, with a great church family. We have a church building. We, we live in a country where we have a lot of religious freedom. But this is not a drill, folks. All of that is window dressing. It's secondary. It's, it's backdrops. It's props on a stage because Jesus is coming back. I want to open this altar this morning. If you feel like you need to make a fresh commitment, if you feel like you need to be stirred and to be challenged and say, God, help me to realize how serious this is. What are my priorities? What are the things that need to change? How much do I live with a rapture mindset? How many times when I'm praying in the morning do I say, Lord, it could be today. Help me to be ready. Lord, it could be today. Help me to be ready. Lord God, search our hearts. Cleanse our hearts. Lord God, help us to be ready. When that trumpet sounds, as we taught this morning, if the same Spirit had raised Christ from the dead, dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal bodies. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. To what? To be with him forever. Forever. That's how important this is. It's forever important. Hallelujah. Lord, help us today. Help us today, Lord. I 